Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, people are openly feuding on Facebook. I, well, people are openly feuding on little neighborhood apps. People are openly feuding. Um, so in, you know, I really just want to say stop it, but that seems too directive. And so let us consider together the value of pausing before posting. Maybe maybe that could be our hashtag for the day. Let us pause before posting. In fact, let us prayerfully pause before posting. If you are tempted to lash out uh, at a neighbor, a literal neighbor on your neighborhood app, uh, if you are tempted to ram them at the stop sign because you disagree with them in relationship to whether or not people should touch produce in the grocery store with an open hand or with a gloved hand, um, or whether or not people should be required to wear masks while mowing their yards. This is this is really important that we take a pause. And you say to yourself, surely it hasn't gotten that bad out there. Oh, contraire. In North Carolina, there are two groups of people openly feuding on Facebook. In fact, it is caught natural, na- natural, it, national attention. Uh, It's being featured today in a piece in The Atlantic, acknowledging that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has opened up what is described as a new front in the American culture wars. And so this isn't like a left-right division necessarily. This is not necessarily a a pro-God, anti-God division. This is not necessarily a red-blue division. This is people behaving badly toward one another based on all kinds of things. Um, Wearing a mask, not wearing a mask. Immunizing their children, not immunizing their children. Um, it, the, it, it is as if we are so obsessed with finding things that divide us that we have become unwilling to recognize the mutual humanity of the other. And so I would just like for us today to take a deep breath and pause. Pause prayerfully before posting. Pause prayerfully before posting. This is not just about, you know, the evils of Twitter, although they are many. This is not just about uh, the damage done to the social fabric uh, by, by people who say things on social media that then go viral and you cannot take them back. It influences how your children will be treated. It influences how your parents will be treated. This is not just about you. And if you are a Christian... This is how the name of Christ is being understood by people who know that you identify as a Christian. So if you've got a fish uh, bumper sticker on your car and then you ram your neighbor at the stop sign because you disagree with them about whether or not they should put a bag over their hand when they're touching a piece of produce at the grocery store, uh, we have a problem. And so my encouragement today 
is to pause prayerfully before posting. I want us to be in the Word of God before we get out there into the world. I want us to be developing a fellowship with uh, with our Father in heaven before we engage the world that he so loves. I want us to recognize that we are the ambassadors of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And today my encouragement is, please, I plead with you, pause prayerfully before posting. Social media has become a cesspool in the COVID, uh, in the midst of the COVID shutdowns. Um, And so, let us be a counterweight to that as Christians in the culture. Um, and let us, at a bare minimum, let us pause before posting. All right, next up, I'm having a conversation with Barbara Rainey. You know her. Um, you know her well. This book is just precious. It's entitled, My Heart Ever His, Prayers for Women. Barbara Rainey shares intimately, intimately, not only her story, but her prayer life with us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Barbara Rainey. You certainly know her. She is uh, the wife of Dennis Rainey. They are the co-founders of Family Life. You may know her from one of the weekends to remember conferences around the world at which she has Spoken more times than, uh, than frankly, anyone has tried to count. She's the author of numerous books, um, and the, she's here today really to talk specifically about her newest book, My Heart, Ever His, Prayers for Women. Barbara, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you, Carmen. It's a delight to be here with you. Well, it's so much fun to have you. I have a list of things I would want to ask Barbara Rainey in just a wide-ranging conversation, and so um, thank you so much for indulging us with this conversation this morning. Um, let's just start with encouragement to women who are listening, who um, in the midst of all that's going on right now, they feel unseen, they're overwhelmed. Um, let's just invite them into uh, a season of prayer. I would love to do that. I, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, in fact, as you just mentioned that, you said they feel unseen. And that's actually the title of one of my prayers. Um, and when I wrote it, I was not, of course, thinking about the pandemic. I mean, it hadn't existed yet. And um, I was just writing about the, the experience that I felt so often being unseen at home um, as a woman, as a mom, as a wife. So many things that I did were um, not noticed. Um, but I, I began to realize and to learn that God sees all and he knows everything. And so um, we are living at a time uh, because of staying in place at home and practicing social distancing that in many ways we are more unseen than ever and we're more isolated than ever. And I think this um, current situation that we're living in invites us to to um, dig our roots down deep into God and to call on him in ways that we never have, and therefore to experience him in ways that we never have before either. Yeah, so when I read um, Unseen, which is chapter 8 in the book, or Prayer mm-hmm. 8, uh, again, the book is My Heart Ever His, Prayers for Women by Barbara Rainey. Um, the The reality that Jesus had so many unseen years 
um, really, like really stood out. Like that is, um, that's a profound part of this particular prayer. I also found myself acknowledging that even though God is fully revealed in Jesus Christ, we still don't fully see him. And so I found myself in reading this chapter also like confessing that there, uh, you know, I am still so much like, uh, like Thomas who says, well, we don't know where you're going. Um, you know, how could we know the way? And Jesus is like, okay, you know, or show us the father. That would be enough. And Jesus is like, have I been with you all this time? And you, you still can't see me like, and so, um, I just, my heart, um, I really, this was one of my favorite prayers, um, in the book. Another one is I'm afraid. And I want to read that one at some point during our conversation today. Let's just talk about the broad scope of the book. Um, first of all, what's the, you know, it's, I know what the motivation to write it is because like our, our prayers are, um, not only effective, but they are equipping in terms of helping other people learn to enter into prayer. And so uh, that is clearly in evidence in this book. But I guess at a heart level, what was your motivation to write this particular book um, in this particular season or at this particular point in time? Well, that's a great question, Carmen. And it was not really, my motivation was not to write a book. My motivation was to talk to God. And I uh, was going through a season of, of personal challenge and difficulty. And I was reading the Psalms two, three, four, sometimes five of them a day, not Psalm 119 length, five of them a day. But nonetheless, <laughs> I was reading multiples a day some days because I just, my heart was so identifying with the words of the psalmist and their their questions. They were saying, how long, Lord, must I wait? And they they were asking things that I had read before. Uh, it's not like it was the first time I'd ever read the Psalms, but um, I was I was feeling the Psalms at a level I had never felt them before, I think would be a good way to summarize it. And yet, as I read them through once and then twice and then three times, I thought, I I think I want to write some of my own prayers. I think I want to put into words what I feel uniquely as a woman, because we, all of the Psalms that we know of were written by men, all the ones who have names assigned to them. And I thought there are some unique experiences that I have been through as a woman, and I would like to verbalize those to God. Excuse me. And so I began writing some of my thoughts really just for my own benefit and to help me put into words what I was feeling so that I could name what was going on in my heart um, to God. And so I did not have a book in mind at all. But as I began doing this, I just was, was writing more and more and more of them. And I found that I was feeling more heard by God because I was able to identify what I was feeling and I was taking the time to to actually pick out the right word that actually expressed what I was feeling in my heart. And so it it was a process of me talking to God, but hearing, and I wasn't hearing audibly from him, of course, but I just felt this sense that he was hearing me at a level um, that I hadn't been heard before. And I think in our busy lives, our pre COVID busy lives, you know, we, I, I should say, but I think there are others like me who just dashed off quick prayers. And we, we talked to God on the run, just like we lived our lives on the run. And um, this forced me to slow down and talk to God in a way that I hadn't before. And it was really good for me and really good for my 
relationship with him. I think I know God a lot better than I did before this process began. I'm talking with Barbara Rainey. Uh, she is, she's got six married kids. She's got a growing number of grandchildren. She has a husband named Dennis. She's got a lot going on. She has a ministry that you can check out at everthinehome.com. We're talking today about her newest book, My Heart Ever His, Prayers for Women. And we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Barbara to read one of these prayers. I'm going to ask you, Barbara, to read I'm Afraid, for, okay. uh, prayer, prayer number 12. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. So we're back, and Barbara Rainey uh, and I are talking about her newest book, My Heart Ever His, Prayers for Women. Barbara, would you, um, would you share I'm Afraid with us? I would love to. This was one of the ones that I wrote in the moment. I um, I was sitting in the uh, in the airport here locally, sitting at the gate in my chair, waiting for them to call my boarding row, and I got a text from my child. And I, uh, after I got on the plane, I started writing this because the text made me afraid. So here's what I wrote: the title of this prayer is "I'm Afraid." A text from my child: something is wrong, mom. Breath catches, heart stops. I'm terrified. Thumbs text questions, mind races, imagining, conjuring, fearing the worst in the unknown. My life, her life, will we be okay? Will what we know today be no more? Will another loss be mine, ours to bear? When my child is late coming home, I fear. Has he been in a wreck? It was true of my friend and her daughter died. My daughter today fears for her unborn babe. She knows too many friends who have suffered miscarriages, trisomy, death, just days after birth. I fear with her. Dark thoughts stalk, hands shake, faith stutters, my security in today stolen. Taking every thought captive, a verse from scripture For me, in that moment, it's like herding flocks of birds wildly fluttering in my mind. Yet he who created the birds of the air could tame them with one word. Why does he not tame my fears? When my mind acts without thee, it spins nothing but deceit and delusion. A quote from a favorite book of mine. It is true. You, Lord, know know what tomorrow will bring. I talk to myself even as I wait for more news for my daughter. I remember, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I repeat those words over and over. You are with me. You are with me. You are with me. You are sufficient. You are enough. You are with me. I've been here before, I remind myself, in days of fear. The way ahead obscured, thick, heavy fog all around, eyes, feet, heart unmoored, unsure. I can't go on. I've said so many times in my life without number. Yet every time, you never left me nor abandoned me. You always brought me to the other side. I know you will strengthen and guide me again, even if I feel lost today, even if I can't see evidence of your presence with me today. In this moment, I choose. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I will. Over and over, I will choose. I will believe. 
my Father, my Jesus, my Comforter, thank you for this present darkness by faith. You are not surprised, caught off guard, as am I. Your plans will not be thwarted. Your presence with me is unchanged. You always act in good, and you promise to work all for good. Calm my anxious, frightened heart. And when I again let what-if fears fly, guide me to surrender them and my heart to you again and again. Amen. Amen. That is prayer number 12. I'm afraid in Barbara Rainey's My Heart Ever His, Prayers for Women. Um, Barbara, it is Psalter-like in its approach, um, Mm -hmm. in its honesty, in in the way that it moves from absolute, this is where I am and what I'm feeling, to the acknowledgement of who God is and that the reality of who God is and his faithfulness is unchanging. Um, it is very Psalter-like in, uh, in the way it progresses. And so um, I'm wondering how, not just writing this book, but how learning to pray in this way has changed your relationship with the Holy Spirit, has changed your relationship with prayer, has changed the way you, has changed the way you pray? Well, I think what it has taught me, and you're right, it is very Psalter-like, and it's because I spent so much time reading the Psalms that the Psalms actually shaped the way I wrote these prayers. And that is, is that I began by being really honest, really raw before God. And I think I always thought, even though I knew I knew, I knew, I knew that I could be honest with God, and I knew that He loved me anyway. I think I always felt like there had to be a proper way to approach the Almighty God in His throne room. And I I think there was this little invisible barrier that I continued to maintain of properly relating to God. But as I saw in the Psalms that the psalmist you know, they questioned God. They said, where are you? Why are you not answering me? Why are you not here? Why are you not fixing this in so many words? I realized that God wanted me to talk to him that way too. But what mattered in the end was was turning my heart to trusting him in the end. So he invites us to come to him in 100% raw honesty and tell him exactly how we feel. But then he says, okay, I hear you. Now will you trust me? And so I think when we end our prayers by saying, as I just read in the one about fear, yet I will trust you. I will believe you. I will choose to trust that even if this circumstance does not turn out the way I pray that it will, the way that I hope that it will, I'm not going to fault God. I'm going to believe him that he has something better in mind, that he has purposes that are beyond my understanding and he is good and I'm going to rest in that goodness. So I think that is is sort of a, um, I think that answers your question. I think it has taken me to a different place of praying in my honesty to always come back to worship and thanksgiving and surrender to the God who is over all. So it's, it's a pattern of being honest and transparent, but concluding our prayers with worship and gratitude for what he is doing, even if we don't see um, the outcome yet. So I want to talk for a minute about Ever Thine Home. I want to talk about mm-hmm. um, how we as women do have this particular, not just responsibility, but joy 
in having our homes be a place where the gospel is realized. It's visible. It's substantial. It's beautiful. That's what I feel like you're doing at Everthine Home. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about um, about that as a ministry place. And again, you guys can find it at everthinehome.com. Well, I'd love that question, Carmen, and thank you for asking it. I have always felt um, that my home is a reflection of me. I think every home is a reflection of the people who live in it. And the thing that's most important to me is my faith. And I think my home should declare that. I think my home should um, reflect what's most important in my life and in my heart. And I had a hard time for years um, because I knew this was true um, in the years I was raising my kids. And I, I struggled trying to figure out how do I make this happen? How do I have this be a reality? Because I knew the scriptures that talked about it and specifically Deuteronomy where um, God tells, tells the people through Moses to write his words on your doorposts and on your gates, write them on your heart. And I thought, how do I, how do I do that practically? And so what I have done through Everthine Home in recent years is to um, create some practical and some beautiful ways that we can as women um, make our homes declare the truth of who God is and who um, he is to us personally. And so if you go to everthinehome.com, I have a blog and I write about this on a regular basis, at least weekly, sometimes more than once a week. But then we also have some um, some products, especially around the holidays, uh, because the holidays really reflect what God did in the Old Testament with the children of Israel when he gave them the feast to celebrate. God knows that we need to remind ourselves of him on a regular annual basis. And so we don't celebrate uh, today. We don't celebrate those feasts um, as believers, but we do celebrate some holidays that mirror the feasts. Um, Christmas and Easter and even Thanksgiving is a holidays focused on gratitude to God. And so I'm trying to help women and families um, make those holidays that we do celebrate year after year actually be about Jesus. And that's what they're supposed to be about anyway. But um, so much of the retail industry has become secular. And so I'm trying to kind of take us back to back to what the origins of these holidays are, which is a time to um, remember Christ and what he has done for us and help us celebrate him and make the focus of these occasions in our families be about him. Yeah, I just really genuinely appreciate it. And my heart ever his prayers for women is a great um, is a great addition to the constellation of resources that you are offering. So everthinehome.com is the website. Barbara Rainey is the curator, creator, author, artist, friend, sister in Christ. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been delightful talking with you today. Well, Carmen, thank you. This has been a joy to me as well. And I appreciate your well-asked questions. And you did a great job and it was a delight. Well, thank you. That's mutual. We'll be right back. All right. The New York Times said on Tuesday that it is planning to relocate its Hong Kong-based digital news operation from Hong Kong to Seoul, South Korea. Um, That's a very significant shift, and it is a shift that is uh, precipitated or, or caused by China Um, putting increasing pressure not only on the people of Hong Kong, but on foreign companies seeking to do business there. That would include um, such institutions as the New York Times. So 
uh, we have talked frequently about what is going on uh, in Hong Kong. Um, and we also talk frequently about what's going on in journalism, not only here, but around the world. We have those conversations with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, and she is joining me next. We are going to talk about developments in Sudan, Kenya, uh, and Iran. That's all up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference is now just 10 days away. I uh, was excited to receive yesterday the list of those of you who are going to uh, enjoy one-on—I don't know—enjoy. <laughs> those of you who signed up for one-on-one appointments with me, um, I know that others of you have signed up with one uh, for one-on-one appointments with uh, all of the other faculty related to the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. We still have space for you to join us. So just go to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. You can check out the schedule um, and all kinds of information about the conference. The conference does begin on July 24th. And so we'd love for you to join us. It's just uh, 10 days away. Register today at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. Do you have a teen living at home? Then you know what it's like to watch mistakes happen. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's inevitable. Kids make dumb choices. They'll say silly things and make fools of themselves in front of a crowd. But you have a powerful opportunity at that crossroad. You can step in and crush them, or you can step in and build them up. What you say at that moment of failure describes a lot about you and a lot about what your team will grow up to be. A well-timed word of encouragement in the midst of failure is worth more than an hour of praise after success. Don't overreact when your teen blows it. Be the one who holds them up when they fall. Mark Gregson is devoted to helping parents of struggling teens. For more helpful parenting resources, go to ParentingTodaysTeens.org. ParentingTodaysTeens.org. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining me today, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find the articles that we are discussing today at mnnonline.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am well. Thank you. Let's uh, let's start with Sudan. It's the headline piece uh, at Mission Network News uh, today. Talk with us about what is going on in Sudan. In Sudan. You know, I think when we talk about 2020 being a year of unprecedented change, um, it's it's been difficult uh, for the most part. But in this case, this is something that is a huge answer to prayer. After more than 30 years of Islamist rule um, in which the persecution of Christians ramped up to a significant level, Sudan has actually implemented uh, sweeping reforms. And one of the big issues that they've dealt with is the apostasy law. Uh, You know, there have been a number of Christians that we've been praying for. Uh, Miriam Ibrahim, you may remember, was on death row um, as a an apostate uh, because the penal code uh, demands that if someone is uh, uh, thought to have turned away from Islam and embraced another faith, they are subject to the, the death penalty. Um, and so this this particular law has been getting a lot of attention. And with the ouster of uh, Omar al-Bashir last year, 
in the coup, uh, the new administration decided they were going to do away with a lot of the laws that were getting them uh, in trouble with human rights activists. And religious rights is a big part of that. Uh, so when they actually came around to making shifts, it wasn't just the apostasy law, but that's really the big one. Um, that has been done away with now. And the believers in Sudan are just praising God out loud and really uh, calling for a kind of a chorus of praise for what God has done in something in reversing and turning around something that seemed to, to be um, insurmountable at, at different points. Keeping in mind that the persecution in Sudan was so severe that when World uh, Open Doors was kind of trying to measure what was going on with the World Watch List, Sudan was at number seven. Uh, in the you know in on the world watch list for countries that are known for the persecution of Christians, um, the apostasy laws are not limited to places like Sudan. There are 12 countries in the world where you have a death penalty associated with apostasy. So there's still work to be done, but for a country like Sudan and some of the things that they've changed and turned around, um, these are really big steps. Continue to pray for believers in Sudan because there's still a lot of work ahead. Uh, the government is, uh, there's a kind of an uneasy truce with the current government because a lot of the guys that are that are behind these reforms now were also serving under al-Bashir. So the ideology, you know, it doesn't seem like it's changed for them. Mm -hmm. But uh, there have been some sweeping reforms. Obviously, there's going to be some pushback because it was an Islamist nation for 30 years. Uh, so there's going to be some difficulty in, in really pushing this forward or whether or not you're going to see vigilantism and that kind of thing. So believers are actually they're asking us to continue to pray as things roll out, um, you know, and, and we'll just see what the new normal looks like. So this is good news um, on the religious liberty front in in Sudan. Um, but you have another piece posted about uh, about a new law um, in Iran, the new Iranian persecution law that no one knows about. This uh, this story features um, you know local intel from Heart for Iran. Tell us what's going on there. Well, there were some amendments that were made to existing penal code. Uh, in Iran. And, you know, let's just say it this way. It's not just us that are finding out late in the game. Um, people mm -hmm. who live in Iran are finding out late in the game and it's too late to change things right now. So there's some concern about, you know, where where things are going to go with the implementation of this law. Um, the parliament passed this last month and those who are found guilty of uh, so-called deviant psychological manipulation or propaganda contrary to Islam. Which are, we would call evangelism. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it's in the real or the virtual sphere, which covers not only traditional uh, outreach programs, but also the media, uh, they can now be labeled as sects and be punished with imprisonment, flogging, fines, or even the death penalty. So these are some really serious things. And under some of this stuff that was going on, we saw sweeping arrests that were taking place. Uh, the last week of June, 12 Christians were arrested. And as far as we can tell, um, a number of those were actually uh, believers who were training uh, as Christian leaders. In fact, our partner, Pars Theological Center, told us that four of their students were arrested during that sweep. Um, and there's a lot of concern about what's going to be happening there. Uh, besides the students that were training at the Theological Center, nine other believers arrested the same day in three cities, Tehran, Karaj, and Malaya. Um, dozens more ordered to give their contact details and then told that they're going to be calling for questioning and interrogation. 
Um, so there are concerns about what's going to be happening. Uh, the interrogations are just the beginning. We were already seeing the ramp up of uh, arrests and, and crackdowns coming into this, and it was sort of being done under the cover of the COVID-19 situation, because if you recall, Iran was one of the early epicenters where things just uh, spread wildly out of control. And um, everybody was supposed to be on lockdown during the lockdown period is when you saw a lot of churches being closed and a lot of Christians being called in for uh, either interrogation or being charged and they just sort of disappear. Um, in a number of situations, sentences were handed down that were far longer than normal for uh, a similar conviction on, on similar charges. Uh, a number of students actually, uh, a number of believers just started their sentences, uh, I think, about two weeks prior to the the wave of arrests. So there's just a lot of stuff going on. Uh, if you're interested in following what's going on for believers, you can check it out with Heart for Iran. Uh, Middle East Concern also tracks this kind of stuff very carefully. And, um, you know, the Parsi Theological Center is careful about what they're doing. They haven't released the names of their students because they don't want to further endanger people. Um, but they have a, a um, kind of a, a, a name board of those who've been arrested recently so that you know how to pray and for whom to pray. Um, and, you know, the names are out there um, for just uh, for just intercession. Um, yeah. it, with mm -hmm. difficult situations like this, there's not a lot we can do, but we have to believe that God is able. Right. And and so we're going to pray today for the kind of uh, amazing transition that's taking place in Sudan um, after many, many years. And we're going to pray those kinds of prayers for God to turn the hearts and minds of people in places like Iran. Um, we continue those prayers uh, for the people of China as well. The list is very long. Uh, Ruth Kramer and I are going to return in just a moment. We are going to pivot our attention toward Kenya where COVID closures um, have led to just desperation actually beyond imagining and the trafficking of little girls. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation now with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, you can find the articles we are discussing today at mnnonline.org. Ruth, this story you have posted from Kenya is just heartbreaking. Um, share, share with our people what is happening in Kenya. Well, you know, when we were initially looking at the story, it was because the headline came out that thousands of unintended teen pregnancies were starting to surface in Kenya. And we just wanted to talk to some of the ministries to ask them, you know, what's going to be done for some of these unwed mothers. We were thinking it was because it was schools were shut down and teenage girls were, you know, just kind of left without something to do. And so they were getting into, you know, issues and, and, and having um, um, situations where they would wind up pregnant. And when we sent, we took this story to our partners, they said, well, that's true, but the bigger issue is really the dirty underbelly of the story. And, and that is that while the girls are out of school, uh, keeping in mind that their families, uh, are probably, um, you know, struggling to find ways to feed the family. Um, a lot of them are going to be farmers, a lot of them are uh, people that deal with animals and, and things like that and trying to take their livestock to market to sell. With the markets closed down, the families are without ways to f provide for their, fam their, their, their children and, and, and the extended family that they're trying to take care of. And as a result, the, the teenage girls are being sold into marriage. 
And so I posed the question to the one partner uh, that we were talking to, Spoken Worldwide, what is the difference then between human trafficking and child brides when you're looking at this situation in Kenya? And he said, it's, there's really not that much of a difference. Um, these are not going to be marriages where you're thinking everybody's going to be happy to be involved with this. This is not a, a traditional kind of marriage. It is very much ingrained into the culture of, of Kenya, though. Um, and you do what you have to do to make sure that the family survives. Um, and, and so it's, it's becoming a very ugly situation. And when you're talking to partners that are, you know, working in, in other venues, uh, Spoken Worldwide is trying to make sure that um, the orality of the gospel goes forward. And they're working with churches to try to make sure that, uh, you know, people are well equipped to tell the story of the gospel. And I said, well, how do you intersect that ministry with this other ministry of the farmers and herdsmen and the, sell, the, the sale of their children uh, into forced marriages? And he says, you know, this is a, a practice that they have to change in the culture. So it's a paradigm shift and it needs to be supported by the body of Christ. It needs to start in the church and you need to meet some of those needs. So at the at the front end of it, they are meeting some of the physical needs uh, that are being expressed here. So food and supplies and some of the things that uh, that the church can be the hands and feet of Christ with a cup of cold water in Jesus's name. And then when the tummy stops rumbling so loudly, they are able to explain a little bit more about what motivates them to do what they do and tell those stories that make such a difference, that become such a point of hope in that community and and is really the motivator behind that paradigm shift. It's, you know, there's going to be issues where people are are experiencing terrible things, but that change that happens has to start somewhere and it's starting with the body of Christ. And so, you know, for for partners like Kenya Hope and Spoken Worldwide, continue to pray wisdom for the leaders who are trying to get in front of this. Um, it's a really ugly situation. It was one that didn't expect to encounter. And so this is going to be one of those longstanding impacts of COVID-19 in Kenya. Ruth, we probably have time to touch on um, one more story, and you do have one good news story that is posted. Um, can you share with us the, the farms story? And those are all capital letters when you guys are looking for them at mnnonline.org. Farms International is a ministry that uses microenterprise to kind of help the body of Christ um, fish. So, you know, it's that whole mm -hmm. idea of, uh, yeah, you can give a fish to a guy, but if you teach him how to fish, he'll feed himself. Um, it's that whole idea of um, getting underneath a, a s small business that comes from the local church and then teaching them how to tithe and, and how to really be responsible for things. So what they do is they give maybe a $250 loan to a member of the body of Christ in a, in a local church and help them to create a sustainable business. So like a tailoring business or a store or something like that. And then um, that family will work and start to pay back that loan. It has to be paid back in full because that is the agreement. Uh, and then from their profits, they're supposed to tithe to the church to be able to help the church to support itself and enable the pastor to be focused more on ministry. And the more that you have that happening in a community, the healthier the church becomes. And as the church begins to become more healthy with a pastor who is freed to do the work of um, evangelizing and taking the gospel into the community, then you start seeing that kind of start to um, uh, 
you see the impact start to grow exponentially. And that's what you've seen with Farms International. Um, it's enabling uh, the body of Christ to be the hands and feet of Christ and to be able to support themselves while they're doing it. Uh, and then people look at that and say, this is really an interesting model because it's not something that's toxic charity at all. It is really trying to teach people how to stand on their own two feet and doing it within the confines of what it is to be a follower of Christ. Ruth Kramer, as always, thank you so much. Um, please encourage those whom you talk with around the world uh, and assure them that their brothers and sisters in Christ here in the United States are praying for them. Uh, and then let each and every one of us who is hearing the voice of Ruth today and reading these uh, these stories of our brothers and sisters around the world at mnnonline.org, let us faithfully be praying and engaging in ways um, to support them. So, Ruth, thank you so very much. Thank you for having us on. Absolutely. We'll be right back. What are you focused on today? And where are you needing to pause in prayer? Barbara Rainey certainly encouraged us in our life of prayer. And Ruth Kramer has given us so many reasons to be people of prayer And then social media is going to absolutely uh, convict us today uh, in terms of our need for prayer for for ourselves and for others. So let us be people who pause in prayer frequently today. In fact, let us do so right now. Take a deep breath. Pause in prayer with the Lord our God. And then come right back for another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.